Cultivated Marketer, episode 13, Jessica Best. We're going to be talking with maybe the world's premier email marketing expert. We're going to talk data-driven marketing, email marketing, and hitting the speaking circuit with Jessica Best. Welcome to Cultivated Marketer, where we talk marketing professional development so your garden of opportunity grows. This is Brent Bowen. And I'm Matt Tidwell. Matt, how are you doing? I am well, Brent. I am well. Spring has sprung and folks are getting out and it's an exciting time, certainly in in the academic world that I live in, but professional-wise as well. I know lots of people getting ready to go back and re-enter the work, workplace, and, and so it's it's an exciting time. Yeah, you got people coming, you got people going. They're going back yeah. into the going back into the office and then you had big milestones over the last couple of weeks with people leaving, right? This is graduation season too. Yeah, university graduation season and and you know, of course, universities have been disrupted just as as everybody has been and so I think ours probably did as good a job as as anybody in terms of figuring it out. We had dual graduation weekends. We we tr- well, I should say we tried to get our 2021 folks graduated in weekend one and then the 2020 folks with the following weekend. But as you probably saw, if you live around the Kansas City area, the first weekend got washed out, but the university did a good job of pivoting and moved everybody into the second weekend and and which actually worked out quite well because as you know, a lot of the pandemic restrictions were lifted. And so they could have what looked like a much more traditional graduation, at least for us at University of Kansas this past Sunday. And it was really cool to see it come off that way and, and always an exciting time. But I think you know, you talk about a group that have been that have been through the ringer, and that's that's been college students in the last four years. So they uh, they they wrung every bit of of merriment they could out of graduation, and it was fun to see. Yeah, no, it was great. It's always you're a great follow on social media, particularly this time of year. It's always great to see all, and you were able to actually take the mask off in some occasions and actually yeah. see people smiling faces during graduation. Unlike us wrapping up class where we were masked, you know, what what was that in March where we were finishing up class and speaking of our class, it got a a mention of by one of the graduates. There was a little profile done by one of the graduates, right? So Mr. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great uh, student that we have who I'm sure he'd be fine with our mentioning his name. He's he's a very well-known guy here in town, Jeff Slutsky, and he finished his, his master's degree. And so was one of many who we many many marketers and strategic communicators who we unleashed into the world this last couple of weeks. But yeah, lots of great stories like Jeff's and you know, particularly I have a lot of respect for people who are working professionals and go back to get a degree, right? Because, you know, you're working already 40 hours a week. And gosh, particularly during this pandemic environment, you were probably on, you know, four or five Zoom meetings and then you had to come to some evening class, which was also being held via Zoom. So a lot of perseverance, uh, you know, just a, a lot of just tremendous work ethic on display and, and, and great to see all those folks graduate for sure. Yeah. And you have those folks going out of the university setting with their master's degree. And then at the home front, as I had mentioned to you, now I'm preparing for one yeah. leaving my home and heading it into the university, the academic environment to start his whole knock on wood, his, his journalism career at some, at some point. So it's been all Pixar tears. Yeah. It's been all Pixar tears at my house for the last couple of weeks. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But I know the university will take good care of him once he, once he gets started in the fall. So, 
Well, speaking of great care, we had an amazing guest. So we're this is going to be another matter of fact. It was hilarious when we spoke with her. We said, "Okay, we all have this. We have to time box this thing because we all had a hard stop <laughs> like at the interview." And I think we literally took it to the last second before we all had to jump on to, to other meetings. So this conversation with Jessica Best is again, folks, going to be a two-parter. In this first part, we talk with her about, you know, and I, I, I led the witness here a little bit. Believe it or not, the highest ROI marketing type, but seems to be the least appreciated in email marketing and data. And, you know, Jessica explains that it's really data-driven marketing now, not although email is the most common form, but we kind of, you know, talk with her about email marketing and what were your impressions of that or chat with her there? Oh, well, first of all, I'm so glad we were able to get her on because anybody who's heard Jessica, you know, knows just how terrific it's just really, really smart marketer overall in general, but she's done a great job of, and they're, you know, of kind of staking out this position as being kind of the go-to expert, if you will, in this area of email marketing. And you're right. I mean, email marketing is, you know, you would think it would be intuitive, but but there seems to be, for whatever reason, lots of kind of mystery or misconceptions around email marketing, right? And she does a great job of kind of explaining it and letting people know that, hey, this isn't something to be ignored. In fact, it's got tremendous power. You mentioned the ROI off of off of email marketing and you're right data driven has become kind of more the, the term of art now but i certainly think of her as the as the email marketing expert and and again she and it, well i think one of the cool things about our community is that we do have people like jessica that have this very very deep sector knowledge and i would throw a bouquet to, to my my partner here on the podcast right i mean it's kind of the job like the job you've done in, in sort, of, sort of staking out a position of being very much an expert in the podcasting genre right people know you that way you you've sort of built your brand around that You've been at it a long time. And so I think in that sense, you and Jessica are very analogous, but no doubt the listeners are going to get a lot of, from, from this conversation with regard to, again, what you mentioned about the ROI of, of the email marketing, data-driven marketing, and, and just how it can be used. And frankly, how sometimes it can be misused if, if you don't kind of dot, dot your I's and cross your T's, you know, and, and uh, certainly because, well, I think it's a powerful tool. We also know the damage that can be done if you if you sort of delve into that spam category that the, the, the four letter word that starts with an S that, that I think she also talks about a bit in terms of just making sure that you're doing the right things when you're when you're in that space. So no, I think it's a great conversation. I'm so glad we were able to get her on for sure. Yeah, certainly I am as well. In that, not only were we able to get her on, but we were also able to have her speak to where this fits within a full integrated program too, because you and I, what struck me, there were a couple of things that struck me about the data driven piece. We talk about current state with her and in that current state, she'll explain, even though you and I had mentioned that it's the highest ROI, she's pretty humble about it. She says, uh, the thing about that is folks give us permission but that permission doesn't come for free. And it generally takes other marketing tactics to get them to buy in, to give us permission. And then we can email them. Right. So she's like, it's not, you know, as much as she loves it, she knows it can't stand alone. The other thing that I thought was interesting was by the time we were done talking with her, she was practically begging people to get into the field. So it, it, it's, it's interesting to me. So as a professional, you know, our focus on professional development, it's curious to me, and we 
maybe this would be a great follow up with her at some point in time because it it may even been towards the end of what's going to be part two in our conversation. She's like, if you're so inclined and you have these attributes and your skills, you should really think about getting into the space. So it makes me wonder if there are marketers that are seeking out other opportunities because the data components, not part of, you know, a skill set that's readily there. So that may be something for us to, that, that struck me in our conversation with, with her certainly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, she, and again, she, this is a person that's got a great kind of 360 view of, of marketing and, and has worked at very, very high levels, as you know, for some of the most notable agencies in the Midwest in this space. And so, you know, as a, a good finger on the pulse of, um, you know, certainly current state, but also what's needed in, in the, uh, in the employment base down the road, which again, I think we get in a little bit more in part two, but that's why I'm glad we, glad we turned this into another two-parter. It's getting to be, it's getting to be sort of a habit, but, uh, I think that hopefully listeners are, are getting something out of, out of both halves of each one. So try, try to break it up that way anyway. Yeah. And, and then the other thing we speak to her on, and it's because of this measure of expertise that she has is how she got started as a speaker where there was some serendipity in that milestone for her, but she's certainly become, as you'd mentioned, an accomplished speaker. And and we were fortunate to have her maybe because of her relaxed speaking schedule with the pandemic. Yeah. Again, you know, we, how many times and sort of a common thread with a lot of our guests is their ability to uh, position themselves, right. Build their brand. And, and in her case, she's a very, as I mentioned, I mean, that's how I was first exposed to her as I saw her on the speaker circuit. And, you know, there are some people that, that really pull that off well, <laughs> and, and she's one of them. She's, she's very dynamic and, and really grabs your attention from the, the, from the moment she takes the stage. And, you know, you, she's one of these people that every time I listen to her speak, you know, I've got a page full of notes because she's given me lots of, of helpful hints. And she's very, very kind of, she has that, she really focuses on providing take-home value for, for whoever she's in front of. And, and I really respect people like that. And so really knows how to build her brand excellent speaker. And then of course, the other thing, you know, talk about uh, continuing threads of, between a lot of our, our, you know, kind of high powered marketing guests that we've had is her commitment to community. And I know that, you know, that's an area that, uh, that you've got a lot of interest in as well, but it is interesting, isn't it? That so many of our, our marketers just really do have this drive to give back and, and to do it in a way that's substantial and is in their sweet spot so that they can be value added with whoever it is they're helping. And I don't know. You you're, you do a little bit more of that than I do, but just seemed like she was she was able to speak really eloquently about that as well. She is certainly a woman about town in the sense of giving back to the community and and the value. You Jessica, somebody I've known for quite some time. We've even been able to share a lunch and more of less of a work capacity, but just getting to know one another, networking capacity, and she certainly brings value to any situation that she's in, whether that's going to be, uh, you know, a corporate setting, a work setting or within the community setting. And that's something we definitely talk with her more about in part two. And with that notion of value, let's, let's not keep you guys from Jessica and the value that she's going to bring this conversation. So with that, we're going to send you to our conversation with Jessica best. Our guest is a long time person I've known for quite a bit of time, as well as Matt. 
and we're very excited to have her on. She is the VP of Data-Driven Marketing at Barclay, which is a marketing agency in the Kansas City area. She leads a team who drives customer-centric marketing through data analytics and data-driven insights, consulting with clients. And I, I was interested in the spectrum of clients here between Dairy Queen to Planet Fitness. That was an interesting choice of spectrum of clients there. It's that, that looks my li- like my life, Dairy Queen to then Planet Fitness. The next <laughs> Self-described our guest. So we're going to move on from that. We're going to go zero to 60 <laughs> ourselves out, off of that comment. Self-described our guest. She goes from zero to maximum email marketing geek in less than 60, 60 seconds. We're talking to one of the world-renowned individuals on this subject. She speaks internationally on the topic. But what's interesting, really interesting about our guest is she not only loves all this newfangled like data-driven marketing, she loves traditional media as well, serving as a community advisory board member for KCUR. And if you're not in the Kansas City region, that's Kansas City's NPR affiliate. We're thrilled to chat with our guest about data, doing good, and professional development. Jessica Best, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you. We were just talking about you and I haven't seen each other out in public for about 15 months because of the pandemic. So it's so great to see your smiling face this morning. I mean, folks only hear this, but you and I get the benefit. You, Matt, and I get the, the benefit of being able to see each other via video chat. So this is awesome. Yeah. What even is the public anymore? I don't I don't remember what it's like <laughs> in the before times. No, it's, it's so good to see both of you. I know each of you separately. I've gotten to work with each of you separately, and it's really fun to have an opportunity to hang out with you this morning together. Yeah, and see what we're like as as partners in crime. That's right. See yeah. see the dynamic of the the radio host personalities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're used to maybe chatting with me over coffee, so we'll we'll try yeah. and and maybe I'm not so emphatic, but you know, this is my radio my radio personality. That's right. Little known fact, actually, this is not in my bio, but I my first job was in radio. I actually worked at Mix 93.3, I don't know, 755 years ago or something as a an ad sales rep. So I sold radio space, air. I sold air mm-hmm. for about a year and a half and got to know uh, a little bit about the inner workings of radio and like terrestrial radio <laughs> back when that was a thing and even voiced a lot of my own ad spots for local vendors. So that's what I was curious about is whether you were on any, had any element of on-air talent or just uh, that is hard business. That is yeah. definitely, I could see where you picked up your hustle is from yeah. probably that ad sale. You have to really hustle to do radio ad sales. Great job to cut your teeth on. Yeah. I got to know Kansas city really well. I got to know what makes a business go. I got to understand what a good proposal looks like listening to somebody's challenges and actually understanding if what I have to sell is something that matches what they need and understanding what version of that or what portion of that makes a solution. So goals, objectives, solutions, and then price and kind of crush fingers and hope for the best. (laughs) Well, it's probably a good foray even into the topic around the the experience where you're in now. And we're going to talk about with respect to data, you had to know your audience, you had to know the market. So, you know, we're here to talk a little bit about data marketing and it's shifted so much over the years, you know, maybe for our listeners, because our listeners span everything from folks who are newer into the field to more experienced marketers, but give us a little bit of a perspective of data marketing and what is encompassed in it right now. 
Yeah. So data-driven marketing is, it's just a fun catch-all at this point, but it's something that we evolved from what we used to call CRM marketing. So like the biggest use case here is email marketing, right? Everyone should be doing some sort of email. Like I can only think of maybe one organization that I was like, you know what? Don't worry about it. Don't do email marketing. I'm sure there's one out there, but I can't think of it right now. But really data-driven marketing, meaning we kind of started with that database of information. And that helps us in two ways. We're looking for data input, meaning what Matt orders at Dairy Queen versus what Brent orders at Dairy Queen. We have all that data as long as you ordered online or ordered through the app. Keeping that, storing that, and then learning from that so that we can be more relevant to our subscribers or our orderers. It's also data on the outside though. So We also can attribute if Matt got an email from us or if Matt got a push notification from us, both of which are considered data-driven marketing channels, then we can also say Matt happened to stop in at DQ two days later. That's probably not a coincidence. We can use that database to attribute the sales that we get from those types of channels. So data-driven marketing, meaning data informed and, and data input, but also data output and being able to optimize our campaigns based on matching back to those people who took action versus those that didn't. So that's kind of the, that's the 30 second elevator version, but largely I would say 80% of my job is still in email marketing because it's such a workhorse. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it feels like free money. It feels like cheating, right? You get a database of people that raise their hand and say, yeah, I want to know what the flavor of the month is at Dairy Queen. And then when you send them the flavor of the month, they buy it. It's like magic. Well, and let's unpack that a little bit. Let's talk about email and maybe what data-driven marketing looks like for today's marketer. I I know in some of our pre-chat, I had led you a little bit because I always find it fascinating for clients. One of the the campaign monitor stats I, I end up going back to clients is your highest ROI execute. And this surprises a lot of people. They're like, email, really? They're they're thinking of like my mother-in-law when they're thinking about sending email to people <laughs> because it's been around for, you know, for two to three decades. And so everybody's so enamored with social media. But if you really look at highest ROI, and I think I saw a stat, it was $40 mm-hmm. was the value of an email address. And of course, that's yeah. different for Dairy Queen versus Planet Fitness or or Winnebago. Yeah. Any of your clients, right? That looks a little different, but on average $40. So what does that data-driven marketing environment look like for today's marketer? The, The biggest piece of it is that you're collecting a database of humans that you own. That's maybe not the most tactful way to say that, but you're collecting a group of opt-in hand raisers that have told you that they're interested in your product or that have purchased your product. The value of that is I mean, of course, the return on investment is better than other channels. Think about what you have to pay in paid media to get eyeballs and how often that turns into a conversion. Think of the difference in having a list of people who literally told you they were interested in your product, that they needed your product in exchange for a discount off of a first order or in exchange for a white paper that solves the same problem that your company solves for their business. They're telling you who they are. They're opting in. They're giving you permission. It's just such a different channel. So of course, for you know marketers in 2003 when email was just a babe and marketers in 2021, this is a, a powerhouse channel. I mean, when people ask me like, oh, you still do email marketing? Really? Like you like still like even today you still do it? I'm like, yeah. Do you want to see my return on investment numbers? <laughs> and I can tell you that that $40 return on investment is 
it's real, right? I mean, I have clients that don't sell very big product, like, like ice cream only costs $5. Mm-hmm. But I also have clients that sell $400,000 vehicles and some of the award-winning results-driven campaigns that we've done have been more like $400 return on investment for every $1 that the campaign wow. costs them. And it's 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 impossible not to include in a channel mix because it's just a different it's a different arm of what you're doing. You should always be doing acquisition through things like social media and paid media. You should always be doing customer service because it's the way that you retain your great clients. Sitting somewhere in the middle of that is this one-to-one channel that listens to what's important to someone and then delivers the content that's important to them. It's a it's a non-negotiable in my opinion. Yeah, and I I think I'm I'm so glad you highlighted it in that way where it's part of an a total offering. Right. So customer service, it's not that he, just because we said email may stand alone and that it's high ROI doesn't mean you should rely on that solely, right? You've got to have an entire program and it needs to be part of an entire program. And and I will be the first one to admit, you can't just do email marketing. How are you going to get an email list? How are you going to grow your, your database? You can't email them. You don't have their email address yet. <laughs> like we don't stand alone. I, I tell people that all the time. Email is not an acquisition channel. I can't help you with that. You should be trying to get an email address and email permission with every order, every visitor to your website, everybody that stops in your Dairy Queen location. But I can only really help once you have that hand raise. I can only do anything once you've already taken a step to get a yes. So I have to work with paid media, especially for acquisition. I can give them my list. I can show them the email addresses for those people that have turned out to be really strong subscribers for me and say, go get me more like that, right? I can help them build a lookalike audience that means that my acquisition campaign is gonna do really well. But email marketing, we can't email somebody to get their email address. I literally can't help with that. <laughs> so it, it is an incredibly powerful channel, but I admit it's cheating. We already got the yes from them once. We had to acquire them in some way. Mm-hmm. Where we win, where email really wins, what it's really great at is getting a second conversion for way less expensive than what you had to pay for the first one. Yeah. For that cost to acquire the email after that. Right. Then like you said, it's kind of a cheat, it's kind of a cheat code. Yeah. So you said email was, you know, 80%, and it certainly is the bedrock of data-driven marketing. Where where are your eyes to the future? What are you, what are you looking at with respect to data driven? You know, I, I wish, I wish it were some, like, like, I wish we had like a Tesla, like we have like the cyber truck (laughs) hiding in the back room. We're just waiting to unveil it. Data driven marketing hasn't, the concept of data driven marketing hasn't changed a lot with different channels and data driven marketing or, or database marketing sort of used to mean direct mail. Like we used to say direct marketing and people kept thinking that only meant direct mail. So we just started calling it data-driven marketing. But direct mail in its infancy in the 60s was a way of going out to a group of people you could identify based on, you know, if you subscribe to this gardening magazine, you might be interested in gardening. I mean, it was like the first time mm-hmm. we tried segmentation as an acquisition tactic. <laughs> and it's and it's beautiful and juicy and we love it and we fell in love with it. And then email came along approximately half a decade or half a century later. And really the only difference was it was faster and less expensive, right? We don't have permission in email until somebody explicitly gives it. That's the biggest difference between direct mail and email. But the idea of being able to send to somebody based on what we know about them or based on what they've told us about them 
That's the exact same. We have a database of people we're, we're breaking into segments that we can time our offers to be most relevant, that we can automate those offers to be most relevant. All of that's kind of the same. And so where we see that growing is in different channels that are very similar. And a lot of that has to do with mobile. Email itself has come become a mobile, a mobile channel, just like websites are like, oh, it's not like you need a mobile website. Like you need a website that works on all devices, full stop, right? But we also have some unique things specifically in the mobile space that are very one-to-one. So for example, loyalty programs are totally a data-driven marketing channel, right? It's a database of people who want their punches or people who have stayed at a certain hotel or, or things like that. And we have leaned into that as we learn things like push notifications for an app. Planet Fitness has an app that you can download free workouts. And I actually did one this morning, true story. <laughs> but you can you can sort of go along cardio for beginners one, cardio for beginners two, right? So the app is tracking where I am in that progress and can actually customize the push notifications or reminders that it sends to my phone based on where I am in that series, right? So that's that's data-driven marketing, right? We didn't change the rules. We just sort of changed the channel or changed the mechanism for getting that messaging to the individual. Very, very cool. Mm-hmm. It's super cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it's super cool stuff. And you start to layer that on with other tech later. I'm I'm glad you brought that in with apps. But, you know, the the more we start to get into AR and those types of things and start to acquire more data, it'll yeah. be really interesting to see what can be delivered. Scary, potentially, very minority report. But <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm glad you brought that up. Even as we're speaking today, well, one of the things, you know, we with podcasting, I'm talking about the advent of smart, smart speakers, and they're, they're not one-way devices. They're two-way devices. They collect data as much as they they share information, too. So it's, the, the world you're in is super fascinating to me, just around how you collect, curate data, and then figure out how to distribute messaging at all these different trigger points, right? Yep, that's exactly right. And I think in 2020, 2018, 2019, but especially in 2020 and 2021, Privacy is the, I don't know, rally cry. Like that is the chant of the decade, right? Like if if the 10s, if the 2010s were about collect, like we need more, marketers need more data. We've got to be relevant and where our subscribers need to be. And we sort of justified collecting all of this stuff, that, whether we used it or not, by the way. And now as of a few years ago, it became very like customers just didn't know that we were collecting this. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to freak anybody out. I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but to say that your smart speaker is listening to you is not only true, it's one of the devices listening to you right now. And we're going to see that shift. We're going to see that be a lot more explicit. I don't think that we're going to see a world in which we don't get to collect consumer data, but the consumer is going to have their choice for sure. When you visit a website, you now have to give permission to have cookies next year. Those cookies can literally only be used on that website, right? So we're talking about a complete shift in the marketplace (laughs) of data, in the ability to buy when somebody went to a Peloton website or searched for Peloton and then sell them a mirror instead. We're going to have a whole different ball of wax because if somebody wants that information, listen, I'm an email girl, right? They would sign up for it if they wanted it, but I'm not going to sneak around behind their back and start to 
listen to what they're mentioning. You know, the, the joke is I was just talking to my friend about how good Chipotle sounds and suddenly I have a Chipotle out on my phone. <laughs> you think it's a joke. Like people think it's a, they think it's funny. That's 100% possible in 2020. Like that happens. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of it is for attribution. So I'll just really quickly like to like take one little bit of scary off the table. A lot of it is just for attribution. Meaning if you're paying a bunch of money as a marketer to run a TV spot, your phone is only listening for that TV spot so that they know that you watched it and then can attribute your sale to it. So it's it's meant to be used in aggregate, but the fact that, that your phone is, it's 100% accurate that your phone is listening to you. And I think we'll see the landscape of that and the permission, the access to that data change significantly in the next 12 months. You know, this one's hitting, this one's hitting close to me or home for me, <laughs> Jessica and Brent, because I'm, I'm definitely a guy who, Hey, I'll trade off the privacy, right. For the convenience. Oh, sure. I mean, that's just me. Right. So, but my wife's a little bit different. So as soon as we got Alexa, a couple of Christmases ago, you know, I was so used to just being able to walk into the bathroom and say, you know, play sports radio, whatever, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden I noticed one morning that all of the Alexas were unplugged because my wife had seen an article in time or something about how she's not, you know, not as, as sophisticated. <laughs> she's a marketer, but not really in this area. So then all my, my smart, smart speakers get unplugged around the house. I have to go back and plug them back in again. So it's oh what we God. constantly chase each other around the house, unplugging and plugging. It's really funny. So definitely it's close to home for me. Hey, Jessica, I want to switch gears though for a second because- yeah. I know a lot of people in Kansas City, and certainly this is how I came to learn about you, know you as a speaker. You you do a lot of speaking. That's been obviously a conscious choice of yours in, in a way to, you know, we talk a lot about the mission of our show is professional development and brand building. And I can't think of a, a person that's done a better job really in that area than you. But so I'd, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about your work in, in, as a speaker, because I know that that's really expanded for you. So you might talk a little bit about that. But how did you get started in, in that role and, and why is it important to you? Well, first of all, thank you. That's an incredible compliment. I think there are some fantastic speakers in the Kansas City area that really do this well, right? When you talk about developing a personal brand and I'm just glad to be among them. I actually started at the nudge of my CEO when I was at Influence. We had kind of talked about when I came to Influence, I was their first ever marketing manager. So I was building up what the marketing programs and where we'd spend our time, our, our kind of our prioritized list of what we thought was the best way to introduce people to the Influence email marketing platform. And one of the things he had kind of learned or heard was in sales, educating people is part of the equation. I mean, it was, it was early when they started Influence, right? And I, I joined Influence in like 2009, 2008, something like that. So email was still a baby and a lot of people didn't even know what they were doing wrong. So he developed this educational program where he was kind of going around and teaching local marketers how to do email marketing. And inevitably, the question at the end of the session is, so do you have a favorite email marketing platform? And he would say, oh yeah, we have one of those. It's great. You should see it, Right. So he had kind of learned this as a marketing acquisition tool. Well, he actually, about a year in, and I, I helped build the presentations, I helped update the presentations. And about a year in, there was a, a speaking engagement that he couldn't make, a date that he couldn't make. And he goes, you know this presentation as well as I do, you should give it. And I, I've, I'm very comfortable on stage. I had a job in a theater company prior to that where I was doing curtain speeches for 8,000 people, but the lines were very short. It was, thank you for coming to the Lion King. Don't forget to renew your season tickets, right? <laughs> but I, I didn't have like a, a absolutely frozen with fear reaction to being on stage in front of people, which helps. And I sure. gave this presentation and, you know, you've both seen me speak. I absolutely come alive. I love teaching this stuff to people. I love 
sharing what I think are the secrets to the best channels <laughs> in marketing with people. And I love seeing them get engaged with it and seeing it click for them that this is something I could use tomorrow. So I'm a teacher in my soul. I think that was part of it too. And I got great feedback from the first time I did it. And the person that booked me, the person that was planning the event, that feedback got back to Dave Cassiopo at Influence as well. And he, I mean, it was a, a light switch for him. He goes, you're good at this. I don't like doing it. You should do it from now on. And I was like, okay, sounds like fun. <laughs> so that was in 2011, maybe 2010, something like that. And I started doing a lot of the local associations, KCIABC, sure. the SMCKC, everywhere that I've kind of met you guys through. And I just started doing kind of a tour. Well, then the Nebraska Direct Marketing Association needs somebody to speak on email marketing. So I kind of started to branch out and do some drivables. Wichita AMA has had me multiple times. And it was one of those, yeah, I'd be happy to, to come and teach everybody. And at some point it was like, oh no, I should, like this either needs to be part of my job or we should be getting paid for me to do this. There's gotta be some sort of a balance to turn this into a career. And for me, I was really lucky that Influence thought, no, every time you're out there, somebody asks for our business card. Like we want you to do this as part of your job. So I had a lot of support from Dave and from Influence to really invest in my brand, to put myself on stage. And in 2013, 2012, we actually submitted to Speak at South by Southwest. And I don't know what stroke of luck hit me. I got hit with a lucky stick. It was a clever title. We had enough groundswell for people that voted us up on that platform on South by Southwest. And I got booked to speak at one of the future 15 sessions at South by. And once I was on the lineup at South by Southwest, that was it. I mean, I joined the National Speakers Association with that on my resume. I was doing 40 speaking gigs a year. I will tell you, asterisk, I do not recommend that unless that is your full-time job. <laughs> For example, you guys know Jeff Fromm at Barclay. He is on the road 200 days a year, and it absolutely does not appeal to me. I mean, he is so good at it, and he's the same. He comes alive on stage, but it's so draining to do that over and over and over again. So I kind of, that was my my year, like 2013 was the year I did 40 speaking engagements, was on the road, mostly drivable, but then had hit that South by Southwest jackpot. And that was when it really became something that I would focus on. And I started doing more like Vegas, New York, Chicago. I got my first international speaking engagement a couple of years after that. And then before the pandemic, <laughs> I actually got to do Dublin and Bucharest in the same year and had taught a semester in Barcelona under the same, I mean, it's just a group of people that they're like, this is the person I know that does email marketing. Like, you know, the email marketing things, will you tell us your secrets? And so people kept recommending me after seeing me and it just, it really blossomed. And it was something that I was really well supported on uh, both at Influence and in the last five years at Barclay, they've really been excited to see me grow in that way too. It's amazing how things like that can steamroll once you once you get a couple of really notable gigs like you did, which is great. And, and I've had I, I've booked you I'm air quotes here on, on the podcast a few times to speak to our students in our master's yeah. degree program. And, and I can attest you you do a fantastic job. And every time after class, you know it's it's like the feedback is great and it shows up on evaluations at the end of the course and things like that. So thank you for all that you do just in the community that that aren't necessarily paying gigs, but really do a lot to educate the rest of us as marketers. Be sure to join us for part two of our conversation with Jessica Best, where we talk how to get started as a speaker, 
and some tips and advice that she has available for marketers who are interested in that space, as well as giving back to the community and how that has influenced her career. And then team dynamics. What are attributes of a great team and skills that in the data-driven world is we're becoming more than just messaging? What skills are required to be able to be a great data-driven marketer? So thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to having you be back for part two of our conversation with Jessica Best. If you found value in today's episode, check us out on our website, cultivatedmarketer.com. You'll also be able to subscribe to us, rate us, and leave us a comment on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Remember, a garden of opportunity grows with Cultivated Marketer. Cultivated Marketer.